describes acts of extreme violence in graphic detail and may include discussions about demonology and the occult, topics that caused widespread panic during the 1980s. This content may not be suitable for children under the age of 50. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. And now, from the Imperial Studio in the free city of Longwood, welcome to Grog Talk. Well, good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. And I'm live here from the Imperial Capital. Thanks for all those who have come back. And, um, you know, trying to get back into this. Good to see everyone out there. Uh, took me a little bit to get going, but we are back here. Hey, so reason I've been off for a few weeks is um, wife had a couple of procedures. She's fine. So I appreciate the people sending out warm regards. Um, but we're hopeful to start up again uh, very regularly. So, again, thanks for all those who have been waiting patiently and still supporting the show. And with that, let's get started. First, as far as announcements, that's right. New Riffs, Imperial Studio. That's, that's exactly right. Good to see everyone out there. So we're, again, I'm thinking about doing the show between seven and nine o'clock on Fridays, whether it'll be a live stream or pre-produced one. That's the intent as well. Um, I know a lot of folks got used to doing it Saturday, but, uh, that was really hard to get motivated and get going Saturday morning. So with that, how's everyone else doing? Looks like, ah, good. People like the new time. Excellent. Um, the show is going to evolve over the next few weeks. There's some things going. Basically, uh, I want to talk about a couple items uh, that I've noticed on Discord that I want to throw my two cents in. And um, for our non-Patreon uh, folks, I had a great interview about tactics and strategy with Lou Pulsifer. I'm going to do the about 30 minutes of that today. And again, the hope is to try to do this weekly, uh, whether it's a live stream or not. So uh, please uh, like and subscribe. And uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, in the future. So with that, um, the first segment I've got is Above the Fray. And one of the things I've noticed on the Discord is people discussing DMing for money. And uh, the comments were basically going, you know, Hey, uh, does it ruin does it ruin the game if you start uh, DMing for folks? And um, so, you know, my take is very simple. You know, if if I like playing with my friends, but you know, I'm sort of DMing for money when it comes to this, but it's not a living for me. I, I think people can do both. I think the challenge is uh, the disadvantage to that, of course. Uh, yes, of course, the emperor is dead. Long live the new emperor. Well, there's going to be some changes around here. We're, uh, next uh, time we get together, we're going to be discussing um, some changes to the Imperial City. You know, there was a free protectorate of gnomes here, and let's just say they should be on notice that things are changing. Um, 
But as far as DMing for money is concerned, I think the advantage of it is if it makes you step up your game uh, for your friends. So, you know, I DM every two weeks. We're running a, a Beck Me adventure, a Beck Me campaign. And um, which, by the way, Rule Cyclopedia is great. I still love AD&D and do, I do that for tournaments. But for my home game, I'm currently running a, a Rule Cyclopedia Beck Me uh, campaign. And uh, so um, if running a paid campaign uh, forces you to, you know, really step up and get your uh, ideas going and discipline, and then you can carry that over to your local game, I think that's great. Um, I think the people get concerned when you are changing for others. And that was some of the comments, you know, I would... uh, uh, you know, that people are concerned is, you know, you would basically be, uh, what do you call it, a DM escort service or whatever you want to call it, a desk, DM escort service. Ooh, I like that. That was good. Uh, still got to have that, so, you know, where you're basically uh, um, basically catering to the folks in order to get paid. I think that's where it becomes a challenge. But if people like your style of play, um, then then they should be attracted to that, and they should be uh, willing to listen and go forward with what you have. Um, I, I've seen people try to make this a full-time career. I think God bless them. Um, I also am not a big fan of online play. You know, certainly, uh, yeah, paid campaign is blasphemy. Yeah, I don't know. I guess for me, Vic, and by the way, the scourge is on there. Well, hello, sir. Um, you know, for me, I don't, I don't know if it's a big deal. Um, Again, I think it becomes a problem when it takes priority to your local game that you're supporting. Again, if I, if I was telling my friends, hey, sorry, we can't play because I got my paid game, uh, that would be a problem. Uh, but as far as you know, helping out, what do you all? Have, have, has anyone paid or paid you to DM or have you ever paid someone to DM? Put that in the comments because I'm curious um, what it is. You know, I've read some articles about it. Um, I don't think I'd want to do it a full-time job because I know how much time I've put in my own personal campaign where I'm probably spending a few hours a week preparing, um, you know, and I would probably at least do that much or more for a separate campaign. Kind of reminds me of teaching. I, I taught uh, years ago as an adjunct professor, and I guess if you do one class, there's a lot of work, and if you can take that work and kind of spread it over multiple classes, that's a, that's a good thing too. But, um, I, you know, but if, if you're doing unique campaigns for each one, that just seems like a lot of work, and I could see how people get burned out. Um, another thing that uh, came out, I've accepted, <laughs> accepted obedience, nice. Uh, okay, paid gain. Um, you know, I've, I've also participated. You know, I think that's different when you talk about paid games when, like, you go to a convention. To me, that's, even if you're paying for a VIP, you know, um, that's a different story, but I'm talking about an online, you know, an ongoing campaign that you're doing. Right. And, and Vic kind of says that as well. So I'm curious if people have been approached to that. I know in some areas it's just hard to get together. So they, 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 there's a lot of players and not enough DMs. So, you know, if that's something you're interested in. And, and how much would you charge? You know, I've seen $50 a session. That seems like, you know, times six. It seems like a lot of money for the individual, but it doesn't seem enough for the DM to make it worth their while. Uh, so for me, that, that would be... Uh, that would be something I would only be interested in um, if, if it enhanced my local game. So that was something I saw that I thought was interesting. And the other question that came up, and I've had this 
thing happen in my uh, campaigns as well is uh, allowing detailed planning between sessions. I like to um, end a session on a cliffhanger. So a lot of times, you know, basically just before they meet the big bad guy or they fall into a pit and before I adjudicate what happens, I say, oh, and we'll see you next time. So I've seen some conversations about do you allow your players uh, during that week or two-week lapse to spend a lot of time strategizing? You know, the, the negative to that or the uh, opposing idea with that is, um, well, the characters only have a few seconds. And, you know, if you're going to give them two weeks, does that loosen or, or weaken the, the, the goal? Um, I tend to not really care too much, especially if it's the big bad or, or death is on the line, like they're in a, a trap that's going to kill them. You know, I typically slow down. We go to bullet time. When the character's going to die, I definitely slow down the game. So, uh, you know, for, so for me, uh, allowing players to, ponti- you know, Think about it. It also gets them excited about the games. I, again, I don't know what kind of players you have, but um, I have a group that are really dedicated, and I have another group that are kind of passive. They just want to show up, eat chips, and kill orcs, which, again, that's totally fine. Um, but if this is a big encounter, you know, whether they're using Discord or a group chat, uh, that gets them engaged in something that's just not them showing up every couple of weeks uh, to do that. So, so for me... I think that's a really uh, uh, advantage to it. But I can understand, does it l- lessen the tension and the drama? But to me, that's the same thing with combat. Um, you know, when, when you call actions, well, I've seen various strategies where, you know, you're going around the table, say, what do you do, what do you do, what do you do? And some DMs, if you don't have an answer right away, they move on to the next person, and basically your character or, uh, basically stands around. Um, the argument, the pro argument to that is that keeps the action moving and character players should be ready with their character action. The downside to that, of course, is you know, the, the player is not the character. They've gone into this world for two or three, four hours, and then they step out for two weeks and they forget. They don't remember the context of things. So um, I, will, uh, I like the idea of, um, you know, Letting people give some time, but, you know, I've, we've also seen the analysis paralysis that happens. Um, so let me know what you say in the comments. You know, I think, um, you know, having some uh, ability for them to discuss, you know, it always depends with your group. I, I understand the one concept. If you just let them adjudicate to death, uh, you, you get into this analysis paralysis. And uh, eventually, I know in my group, one or two of them is just going to go, all right, screw it, we're going to attack right now. And then it all falls apart and there's bitterness there. So um, I'm just trying to read some of the comments here. Yeah, so is there, do you guys use, uh, you know, between sessions, you know, again, I don't know how you can stop that, especially if, if you're not part of the group chat, that's going to let them, let, them, let them do that. Um, and, and to change what you as the DM are going to do in response because they've spent a week or two planning. Again, I think you hold hold all the cards, so why would you take advantage? You know, having competition, you know, my stance on running D&D or any fantasy game or role-playing game is I'm playing the monsters intelligently. They want to live. They want to go see their 
their kids and their wife when they get back. But they can't have a, a, a better knowledge than the players do and the PCs do. So for me, I think that's where we have some, uh, some you have to give them some latitude. Um, you as the DM are spending a lot more time in the campaign and understanding the motivations of the players, whereas um, the players are coming in every three or four hours. So uh, anyway, uh, with that, um, we have a new member of the Empire. I want to congratulate Todd, who is now and forever will be known in the Empire as the Lord, Sublime, Majestic, or Majesty, Viscount, Contentious Victor over Riverview on Hawkeye. Long may you reign, sir. So uh, Riverview is a suburb of Tampa, and uh, he has waited patiently for his title. So congratulate him in his, um, in his new title. Congratulations, sir. Uh, what I want to talk about today is um, something I've been seeing a lot of online, and it's this idea. Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing before we continue. Let's uh, see. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just reading, catching up. Um, one other thing is the new flipping and turning 14. It will be released early next month per Rob. Um, obviously. Uh, Online copies will be made available first, and then um, hard copies will be handed out to those patrons and subscribers of a sufficient tier. Um, I've already got a preview of the cover. It is uh, done by Aggie, one of our dear friends, and it is amazing. Uh, she's, she's knocked it out of the park. And so um, if, if you've not read Flipping and Turning, you're doing yourself a disservice. There's, it's, a, it's a labor of love, not only of rich, uh, excuse me, Rob Ritchie, but all the uh, contributors. Uh, I have an article in there myself, so it's definitely. Um, yeah, I'm not going to shave my eyebrows. That's, <laughs> that's not going to not by not purposely at least. I'm not going to do that. I will say sometimes in the morning I'm, you know, you got the shaver and you're kind of just doing around, and I, I got to be careful. You know, unfortunately, uh, too, a little too much information. There's like two or three stragglers up here, and sometimes you just have to. Taken, I will not, I'll try not to eliminate my eyebrows, at least purposely. Um, but if you are someone who is interested in old school gaming, you should check out Flipping and Turning. Uh, Rob uh, does a great job, and there's so many great uh, contributors. So um, with that, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about tonight and get everyone's feedback that's out here is there's been a lot of conversation, if you've listened to any of the podcasts that we many of us, like Menyon has and Jason, a number of other folks, um, our old school theme is, you know, we have the DM, we have the players, or the GM and the players, and a lot of the advice is how to get your players engaged and how to make your life easier as a dungeon master or a game master. Um, you know, but there's not a whole lot of advice on how, you know, the DM is a player as well. The DM is, should be having as much fun, and many DMs, are quite happy uh, if their players are happy. Um, but as I go on to my 40th year of, of DMing, um, that to me is not enough. I want to enjoy the game as much as uh, the players do. So I wanted to give you know what I'm doing now to enjoy it because I'm about uh, almost a year into this campaign that I'm running. And this is about the time uh, when I move from being eagerly, you know, start of a campaign, you're excited, you get some development, and now you get into the, the burnout. Um, 
Uh, and so for me, these are some of the things I'm trying to do in order to enjoy the game and I think ultimately will help the players who uh, are enjoying it. So, um, you know, I, I think that I'm, a lot of the advice I also see is about how to run the game. You know, most of the folks here who, who listen to Grog Talk, they've been, they've been DMing for a long time. And certainly we can always use advice and sharpen our skills. But most of us feel very confident in running a game um, and have a good grasp of improvisation, pacing. So uh, this is not that advice. My thoughts are, how can you get enjoyment uh, from, from the game that you're running and not just be a facilitator uh, and only deriving uh, satisfaction when the players are happy, which of course is still a major component. Um, so first I had to think about, um, yes, Ron's old school reader. Absolutely. Thank you. Good plug. Uh, golf clap for that. Um, so I first had to sit down and think, what do I like about DMing? Um, first it's getting together with friends. It's getting together, uh, with the people I've played with for years and spending time together, having a few drinks, having a few laughs. D&D is the primary reason we get together. Uh, these friends, for the most part, I don't see outside of D&D, but there's a couple who I, who do, who I do. So um, getting together is a key thing. And, and we typically play every two weeks. Um, I used to be part of a game that was weekly online, um, but I prefer in person and I prefer every two weeks, which seems to be the amount of frequency that most adults who have lives can uh, muster. If you can do it more frequently, more power to you. Um, I also enjoy running the adventure, the physical running of the game at the table. Under, getting set up, explaining the scenario, seeing the players' reactions, improvising, dealing with that, uh, setting up the challenges, dealing with the pacing, those are the things I enjoy. I also like to, when I'm thinking about the game, is weaving their choices into the world. What, I've, what I always appreciate, uh, I'm not a backstory guy. I don't, I don't really care about players' backstories. I'm from the old school that you're, if your backstory is more interesting than what you do at the table, why, why, are, you, why are you adventuring? If you're a first-level character and you have you know, a 20-page backstory. The, their, your character should be fleshed out from the adventures that you go with the group. And so weaving their choices, you know, typically I run a, a what would be called a sandbox, or they get multiple clues. If they pick a clue, that's what, uh, that's what they pursue, and typically those other clues fall away or their choices are made. And so I think that's, um, that's what I... Uh, that's what I like to do is so it shows that their choices are meaningful and it doesn't always have to be, you know, they didn't do X. And so now this army of darkness is coming to wipe them out. Um, it's, it's sometimes it's uh, a benign effect, but there should be, uh, items that should happen from it. So what don't I like about, um, running D and D particularly a campaign, a one shot's different. We're talking about a series of adventures, with the same party in the in the world, uh, prep. I I am not a world builder anymore. I mean, I have some ideas, I have some themes I like to do, but sitting here and writing out a bunch of lore and kind of postulating in my brain the world, um, and I think part of that's due to the players I have. 
They are not uh, interested in a lot of lore. And sometimes, you know, even in, in my uh, version of this, I have some deities and I, I'm using the uh, world of Mistara, which has a lot of literature associated with it from the 90s. So it's very rich. Uh, but, you know, when you're dealing with dozens and hundreds of names and hundreds of places, it becomes, uh, and you're not as familiar with them, it becomes tedious. And so I don't, uh, that, that becomes a challenge. What I try to do, because like most people, I'm busy, I try to prep one day, a uh, couple hours, and get ready for four or five sessions. I know what I want to do. I know the encounters. I generally have an idea so that I'm not uh, panicking the, the, the time before and then really winging it. I think, you know, I want a little bit, kind of like when I do speeches, I want to outline I don't want to write it word for word, uh, but I do want to have the parameters that are. So a lot of prep, not a big fan of. Uh, the other thing I'm really starting to dislike is player downtime. This is, uh, for me, it it's becomes a struggle between uh, what the players want, and typically what do the players want. If they're the players I'm used to, they want to max out their capabilities when the next time they go into the dungeon. So they're trying to, you know, Buy as many healing potions if that's available, or, or magic scrolls, magic items, crafting weapons, uh, buying war dogs, whatever, buying horses. Um, and so all that, uh, A, I don't, we, since we only meet every two weeks, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. So then that means a lot of text messaging back and forth. And now I feel like I've got another job, which is to try to, um, Make the world real, make it uh, make rulings. So you know when they when someone says, "Hey, I want to, uh, I want the local armorer or excuse me, the weaponsmith to craft me a gold-plated maul." How long is that going to take? How much is that going to cost? Um, you know, and I come up with some value, and I'm sure there's a rule. Uh, and again, some of it makes sense when if they don't have magic items and they want silvered weapons because they know they're going to be encountering undead. Um, in the past, I would make that more difficult. I'd say, oh, you have to find a certain smithy, and you have to bring the materials, and it would take a while. Uh, what value am I really providing? It's, is, it, is it really making immersion, or is I'm just making a lot of bookkeeping? Um, you know, part of this is a result of that in old-school games, gold is XP. So as players get higher and higher level, they're getting tons and tons of gold so that they can continue and treasure so they can level up. Well, if you don't give them a vehicle to spend it, then what are they doing with it? So, you know, that's, we're kind of a prisoner, a prisoner of, a, of their own success. So one of the things, and, you know, this is not uh, accountants and ledgers. This is Dungeons and Dragons. But some of the players, especially the ones who are, I'll call them your better players, your active players, they want to they see this. They want to be, they want to have an immersive world. So the, that is something I'm not a big fan of. Running and, and then kind of sub-segueing into that um, is the uh, too many things to remember. You know, I am definitely like lower-level campaigns, which, again, is always a tension because the players, they want to see their characters grow in power and statue, stature. They want to get magic items. They want to get abilities. And it's just more for my little feeble brain to keep track of, not from a challenge perspective, but just to manage as, you know, if you give out intelligent swords that have personality, well, the player typically, if, if, if they're your average player, 
They're not going to remember, remind you, oh, I have, a, I have a very difficult sword that likes to, uh, likes to battle me. Oh, and I'm down hit points, so now there should be a, a personality uh, conflict. They're not going to remember that, so that's another thing you have to remember. And when they start adding pets and henchmen and hirelings, you have this, uh, again, I understand it's old school, but um, it becomes unwieldy when you're just trying to focus on how many hit points that they have. So um, where I'm becoming to is, you know, initially when I start a, uh, a game, I, uh, you know, we start out in a small town with a dungeon, get their feet wet, see which characters are going to survive, give them reason to get together. Um, but where I'm moving the party to, and again, if you're playing my game, spoiler, uh, I'm moving you towards a mega dungeon. because, or And when I mean mega dungeon, it is a, a, an area of limited resources that are external to where they're at. So whether it's a lost land um, that they can't easily get back in and out of, or a mega dungeon, the, the goal is um, to prevent or to minimize the, not the feeling of rest, but this uh, ability to shape the game and spend a lot of time uh, acquiring resources outside of the dungeon environment, which I think in a lot of ways is really what the game was about when it first started. You delved in the dungeon and you were driven to the dungeon because that's where the money was and that's where the treasure is. And so um, I'm actually going to start, uh, there's a mega dungeon I found um, that goes from 6 to 26 level or something to that effect. Uh, whether we'll continue for that long, I don't know. Um, but that, that to me is... Uh, we actually played the Baromaze. Uh, one of our one of our folks who is part of our group, Lane, was running that. And um, again, we, we, what was good is we focused on what our group liked to do: kicking down doors, killing things, getting treasure, fix you know, figuring out challenges, and not spending a lot of time on this other stuff. So uh, that's my thoughts. I'd love to know what you all, all think about it. And if you have a mega dungeon, besides Barrow Maze, that kind of fits into this idea. And it doesn't have to be a, a mega dungeon. It could be, you know, for a lot of times I kept them in uh, X1, the uh, Isle of Dread. Had, had a similar uh, constraint in that most of it was jungle, it was a hex crawl, they had some small towns, but they weren't going to become, they weren't going to find a grand sorcerer who had, uh, you know, 150 scrolls uh, that they could they could deal with. Um, so uh, that's kind of my thoughts on that. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, are you do you like world building? Do you like dealing with the lore? And more importantly, do your players like it? Um, you know, in in my campaign and the campaigns I've typically run, eighty five percent of the players. I'm randomly making up the number. The majority of the players, vast majority, do not care about your world. They care about their character, they care how it interacts, but they don't care that the, the guy they're rescuing is the third cousin of the Viscount who was put on the throne because her, his father was murdered by the ghoul. Exactly. That's exactly right, Jack. He was groaning by the exposition. So, um, you know, I, I like the idea of some smaller base that they can heal and they can recover uh, but it's it's not an opportunity for them to establish a factory of scroll making or a factory of holy water making. 
um, that their outside businesses are more interesting than what they're doing in the dungeon. Um, so that that's that's kind of what I'm I'm leaning towards, and that's my rant for uh, rant for today. So um, let me know what you think about that, uh, because you know I I could be maybe changed, and certainly if that's uh, if that's something that uh, you have some great ideas of how to avoid, because I'm trying to avoid the burnout. Try and avoid where this, the burden of managing higher-level characters, abilities, plot threads, this and that, with you know, uh, becomes where it's just too much. And what I usually try to do is wrap up the campaign, get to something I can put a bow on it. You know, because no one likes an unfinished campaign. That's we've been through too many of them. I'm trying to avoid that. So let me see some of the comments that we have. Uh, yeah. That's good to have overarching plot. Agreed. Uh, let's see. All right. Well, thank you. Um, kind of wise. Things are going by quickly. Uh, expansive but shallow lore. Okay. Um, you know, I've just found when, <laughs> when I've tried to document, and I'm sure like all of you, I've either created OneNote or I know there's online tools where you start putting all this together. Or in the case of Mistar, there's wonderful uh, gazetteers that you know you can spend days reviewing. Um, you know, when they, my party, for the most part, why are we here? Uh, we're taking our ship back, and we need to get it repaired. What's available here? They're they're not interested in the the dynamics of the place. Where's the armor? Where's the boar? Where's the magic shop if there is one? Where's the fighters guild, thieves guild, et cetera, et cetera? And where's the adventure? And how do we do that? Uh, again, I don't want to make it sound like, um, you know, they're that uh, banal. But when it comes down to it, the, for, for most of them, they're not, as soon as they leave the session, they're really not thinking much about the game. And of the seven or eight I have, it's maybe one or two people who are, who are invested. And they're the ones who are texting me. And that's really what propels me to do some of the things. Uh, but it's certainly not enough to uh, continue. This is Big Abushi Puppy Production. All rights reserved.